If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 to 23. We finished up our series on Philippians. We did a few weeks on Psalms, and now we're actually going to pick up exactly where I left off back in March when our lives were unsettled a little bit. We're just going to finish the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, you are a gracious and great God. There is none like you. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you, to read your word and to be impacted by it. As James warns, we don't want to be hearers of the word only, but we want to be doers as well. So take your inspired and errant word and apply it to our lives. Let us know your mind, your heart, and may we follow with your actions. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you may know the name Neville Chamberlain. If so, you know that he was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, what some would call England today, from 1937 to 1940. In 1940, he was pushed out of his position because both the Labour and Liberal parties refused to follow his leadership, and that led to the rise of Winston Churchill. Now, if you know anything about Neville Chamberlain, historians point to one word as why he was pushed out of office. That word is appeasement. Appeasement is different than compromise. Compromise might be appeasement, but compromise might be just giving up one's personal liberties for the sake of another. But appeasement is selling out one's values. It's selling out one's mores. It's doing things in unethical ways in order to get something done. You may remember that at the time, Europe was recovering from World War I, the United Kingdom was still in shambles. Its army was not strong, but that in Germany had been rebuilt. And the Wehrmacht, the German army, and the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force had been rebuilt, and Hitler had his eyes on domination. Whether it was European or world domination, historians aren't sure. But what happened is Neville Chamberlain realized that England wasn't ready for war, and he didn't want war, and he joined with France and Italy, and they signed what is called the Munich Pact. Essentially, the Munich Pact said this, they would give Germany the Sudetenland, which was sovereign Czech land, they would give Germany sovereign Czech land without Czechoslovakia's permission, because the people in the Sudetenland spoke German, they would give that land to Germany if Hitler said he wouldn't invade Poland or any other part of Europe. It was appeasement. It was giving up one's values, giving up one's mores, doing what you should not do in order to get a preferred future. Well, you remember what happened. They gave up the Sudetenland, and actually Hitler took more than that. He took most of Czechoslovakia, and soon after that he unleashed the Blitzkrieg, the Lightning War. Neville Chamberlain had declared peace in my time, or peace in our time, but he was forced to then declare war against Germany because he was filled with appeasement. He didn't have 
his mores, his values, his commitments in line. He gave somebody else's sovereign land in order to protect himself. And that phrase, peace in our time, came back to haunt him. Because it wasn't peace, it led to World War II. There's a difference between appeasement and compromise. Compromise is a morally neutral word. Compromise, when we don't give up our values, we don't give up our mores, but we just give up our preferences and our liberties is a biblical word. Appeasement is never a biblical word because that's giving up one's values, mores, right and wrong. Nevelle Chamberlain appeased Hitler and it cost him his office and it cost Europe a war. Paul talks not about appeasement, but he talks about compromise. Compromise, giving up our values, no, but giving up our liberties, yes. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, the not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I love the passage. Again, Paul is not saying compromise biblical truth, never. Or compromise what God says, never. Or compromise God's values, mores, and laws, never. He's saying give up your preferences and your liberties to advance the gospel. Just to make sure we understand what Paul is not saying, let me read a couple other passages. 1 Timothy 6, verses 2 to 4. Teach and urge these things. That is scripture. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. Galatians 1 Six to nine, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or even an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, let him be anathema, accursed, condemned. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is crystal clear. Where God has spoken, it is true. What God has written, it is to be believed. It is to be obeyed. It is to be encapsulated in our lives. No compromise ever on biblical truth. Never. However, what he's saying is, in the area of personal preferences, in the area of liberties, not where there's mores, not where there's values, but where there's preferences, we are to give up those preferences upon times, 
in order to advance the kingdom, advance the gospel, to witness to our neighbors. That's Paul's clear advice to us. I want to illustrate this with a well-known bumper sticker. You've probably seen it before, coexist. Now, coexist is an interesting bumper sticker. If it meant that we ought to treat all people, regardless of ideology, as being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and that every person had inalienable rights, and every person was to be treated as special and good, made in God's image, if coexist meant that, I could readily embrace it. But I don't think that's predominantly the meaning of coexist. If it said we should stop the meanness and we should stop the the bickering, then I could embrace it. But I don't think that's what coexist predominantly means. I think it means that all religious ideologies are essentially the same and that whatever God you worship, it's really the same God. The interesting thing about that is it's intellectually bankrupt. Coexist is an intellectually bankrupt idea. Why? Because every ideology that is represented is fairly mutually exclusive of the others. This one has the Quran or Islam, the Quran, which is quite different than Buddhism with the Tripitaka and its 50 volumes, which is different than science, which isn't even a religion. Good science and good Christianity ought to align 100%. It has Judaism with the Tanakh or the Old Testament, paganism, which doesn't have really a religious book, Wiccanism, which is the book of shadows, though some would debate it, and Christianity, which is the 66 books of Scripture. And they don't talk about the same God. They don't talk about the same faith system. They're mutually exclusive one of another. So coexist, if it means all religions are the same, or all gods are essentially the same, or all roads lead to the same path, it is intellectually bankrupt, Because every one of these ideologies would have to say, no, no, I don't believe that at all. And Jesus said very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, asking him to pay the penalty of our sin with his death. And his resurrection is evidence of life after the grave by which you and I are saved. So coexist is appeasement. And it's something that Christianity cannot embrace. So what is Paul talking about? What does he mean when he says, to the Jews I become like the Jew in order to win the Jews? To those with the law... I'm like one with the law, with those without the law, the Gentile. I'm like those without the law. What on earth is he talking about? What he's saying is, in non-moral, non-ethical issues, non-biblical issues, he's willing to give up his rights, his liberties, in order to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Let me illustrate this with his own name. We know Paul as Paul, and at one time he was Saul, right? In fact, he comes to Christ in Acts 9, and then 
Sometimes you hear people say when he came to Christ, he no longer was Saul. He now went by the word Paul, the name Paul. But that's not true. You go to Acts 13. That's four chapters after he came to Christ, several years after he came to Christ. He's already been called Paul, and then he goes back to being called Saul. What is that all about? Well, it depends on the audience to which he's preaching and teaching by which name he goes. Paul was a Roman citizen from the Roman city of Tarsus, and this Roman citizen would have three or four names. He might have the pronomen. We don't know what Paul's pronomen name is. He might have the nomen gentile. We don't know what that word is for Paul either. He would have the cognomen. That would be his Roman or Gentile name. That's Paul. And he would have the supernomen. That would be his Jewish name, which is Saul. And so what Paul did was when he was with Gentiles and he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he said, hey man, my name is Paul. But when he was over in a Jewish neighborhood, he'd say, hey, my name is Saul. He's not trying to be like wishy-washy. He's just trying to fit in in the culture that he's a part of. Paul doesn't care if you call him Paul or you call him Saul or you call him something else. That's not important. He'll give up those liberties. He'll give up those preferences if it will allow him an audience to share about Jesus Christ. He becomes all things to all people so that by all possible means he might win some. Peter illustrates this partially in Galatians 2. In Galatians 2, Peter, who is a Jew, when he's with the Gentiles, he's all about kosher. He's got a kosher kitchen. There's going to be no pork in his life. There's going to be no rare meat or bloody meat. Absolutely not. But when he's with the Gentiles, man, get out the Barbie. He's like his medium rare with double bacon on top. He doesn't care about the blood. He doesn't care about the bacon because he knows that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament law on his behalf and he, we are free from the minutia of the Old Testament law. And I think Paul would have patted Peter on the back. That's great. If I go somewhere in the world and I'm going there in order to talk about Christ to the best of my ability, I ought to eat their food and I ought to live their life in order to fit in, in order for my lifestyle not to be a barrier to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well done, Peter. Except, except Peter, when he was with the Gentile, or with the Jews, he kind of pretended like he was always kosher. Even when he was with those Gentile dogs, you know, he ate kosher. It wasn't true, but that's how he acted. And so Paul calls him on that. That's a lie. That's hypocritical. That's not the way we ought to live. Paul becomes all things to all people so that by all possible means, he might win some. It might be as simple as how we dress. Years ago when I pastored, I always wore a jacket and tie because there were a lot of jackets and ties. Now there's very few. People have come to their senses and I no longer wear a jacket and tie. Instead, I wear these, these uh, hip shirts that uh, my wife buys me, right? Because that fits in. This summer, I was speaking at 
a family camp and all the services were outside and everyone was wearing shorts. So I preached in shorts. This summer at Highland, when we were outside, I always preached in a ball cap because of the sun coming down and and there were a lot of ball caps. If I went to a formal church, I'd preach in a suit again. I think we become all things to all people, so by all possible means, we might win some. This is what made the worship war so sad several decades ago. People were fighting for their personal preferences rather than what might reach the culture without compromise. And we had all sorts of things like drums are of the devil and don't even get me started about electric guitars and bass guitars and And we were fighting over an instrument, not even the words of the lyrics. Because we were all interested in our own territory, not you. But this is what happened across the country with worship wars. People were fighting for their preferences, forgetting that part of our role is not only to imitate Christ, but to be Christ to a world that is lost without compromise, without giving up biblical truth, without giving up the word of God, but we can give up and should give up from time to time our preferences and liberties if our preferences and liberties get in the way of sharing the truth of Christ with others. I think of Paul. Paul put himself out for the sake of the gospel. He put himself out so much that he suffered repeatedly for the sake of the gospel. Let me just read from 2 Corinthians 11. I want to read verses 23 to 28. Are there servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, said Paul. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. This is what Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure pressure of my anxiety for all of the churches. That's what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. He gave up his preferences. Who is going to be shipwrecked? Who is going to be beaten? Who's going to be risking the 39 lashes multiple times? Paul, he gave up his liberties. He gave up his preferences never giving up the truth of God's word, never compromising with God's word, but giving up those preferences in order that he might win an audience, risk an audience to an unbelieving world. That's what Paul says. To the Jew I became as a Jew, to the Gentile I became as a Gentile. And then he goes on to say, to the weak, asthenes, I become like the weak. What is that? What is the weak? This word is used in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 to talk about legalists. Paul said, when I'm around legalists, I'll even give up some of my freedoms. I think he's grabbing a bottle of Evian rather than a bottle of Sutton 
hills or, or, or Sutton House. You know, he, he's just giving these things up. Sutter Home, that's the name of it. I, I don't drink, so I had to look one up. Why does Paul do that? Why does he give up his liberty? He has the liberty to drink in moderation. Why would he choose at that moment a bottle of Avian water? Because it's a preference. And he'll give up his preference. He'll give up his liberty. He'll give up his rights. Never compromising biblical truth. But he'll give up those liberties for the sake of the gospel. So let's summarize what we've learned. First, there can never be appeasement. We never give up biblical truth. Never. We don't compromise. Where God has spoken, we are to believe, we are to act. We are not to look at the winds of the world, the culture, the air that is all around us and say, you know what? I'm going to jump on the bandwagon of this or that. No, no. If it's biblical truth, yes. If it contradicts biblical truth, no, regardless of what culture says, we will stand with the word of God, the inspired, God-breathed, inerrant, without error word of God. We stand on God's word. No compromise, no appeasement. But in areas of preference, in areas of liberty, we're going to give up our rights. If giving up our rights will advance the kingdom, if giving up our rights will impact others for the sake of the gospel, if giving up our rights demonstrates love for others, then we will give up our rights. I think of Hudson Taylor. He died in 1905, lived through uh, the middle and late 1800s. He was from England. He was a missionary that was called to open up China to the gospel. And when he got to the area where he was, he saw that all of the missionaries lived in missionary villages and lived like they lived in England. And they were having no impact on the people they wanted to reach for the gospel. And so Hudson lived with the people. And he noticed that the men would wear a ponytail, often down to the middle of their back, something no European man would do in the 1800s. And yet Hudson Taylor wore a ponytail down to the middle of his back and lived among the Chinese, learned their language, learned their culture, didn't compromise biblical truth, but gave up liberties, gave up preferences, gave up rights, and maybe a hundred million people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in relation to the ministry he had and others after him. It's incredible. I think of Acts 16. Acts 16, that's a staggering passage, men. Staggering passage. Paul is going into a Jewish area. He's got his young sidekick, Timothy, with him. But Timothy, who is now a man, was not circumcised. And Paul knows that going into a Jewish area to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with an uncircumcised man is going to stop the flow of the gospel to these people. And so Timothy allowed himself to be circumcised as a man 
in order to go in to an area to preach the gospel. He gave up his rights. He gave up his liberties. He gave up his freedoms in order to advance the kingdom of God. I think what the passage is saying is that I need to know the difference between bedrock biblical truth and preferences and liberties. And in bedrock biblical truth, there will never be compromise. There should never be compromise. I should stand where God has stand. I should say what God has said. I should teach what God has taught. But in areas of preferences and liberties, sometimes I have to let my preferences and liberties go in order that I may penetrate a culture that needs to know Jesus Christ. And that's the call on every Christian church. It's the call on every Christ follower to know the difference between biblical truth and preferences, between God has spoken and Jeff's liberties, and never compromise what God has said and done. But we're willing to let go of some of our preferences and liberties if in doing so, we can share and preach and teach the gospel to others. I've got to know the difference. And in accordance with God's will, I've got to act differently with the two hands. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father, as we close today with a song or two, and as we meditate on your word, we ask that you would allow us not to be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. I pray, Lord, that I would know the difference between biblical truth and Jeff's preferences, where you have spoken and liberties that I can enjoy, or for the sake of the gospel, sometimes even give up. Father, help me to know the difference and to follow your guiding, your spirit in my life. We want to be a church that loves others, never compromises truth, is not blown by the winds of culture, but yet also does not fight over liberties and preferences. Father, give us the heart of your son, Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.